Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 33 of the Leader of Learning podcast. If you're a loyal listener of the show, thanks again for joining us. If you're new to the show and this is your first episode, man, it's a good one. I have a really great guest on this episode. And one of the things I've realized after having a relatively successful podcast for a while now is that I've reached the point where sometimes people get in touch with me and either ask to come onto the show or they recommend someone. This is a guest who listened to the show and said, I have a unique perspective on things and I'd like to come on and share my story. And once I heard her story and once I realized that she and I share very similar thoughts about growth and positivity, I said, yes, I would absolutely love to get you on the show. So my guest, Elizabeth Shaw, is what I would consider an optimism expert. She's written a book called The Optimist's Manifesto, and we just had a really great conversation about optimism, about building a culture of optimism, and of course, because I'm so passionate about growth mindset, that link between optimism and growth mindset. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Without further ado, here is my discussion with Elizabeth. All right, everyone. I'm here with Elizabeth Shaw. Uh, this is exciting for me. Elizabeth reached out uh, at some point after hearing one of my episodes, and and I think we both realized that uh, in our in our line of work, in our professional uh, passions, that we have a lot in common, and and things that we like to learn about, and and things that really drive us. And so, Elizabeth, thank you for joining me, and for the benefit of the listeners, if you could just introduce yourself. Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? Dan, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm so excited about our conversation because I am an optimism expert and I'm working to create cultures of optimism through a book that I just published, but also working with organizations to create optimistic cultures in uh, both education and corporations, nonprofits. So, all right, let's start with that then, uh, since you threw it out there and, and plug the book a little bit and just tell us a little bit of, of what it's about. And um, I apologize, I haven't read it yet. I definitely want to, um, but man, life has just really gotten in the way lately. So the book is called The Optimist's Manifesto, An Optimist's Guide to Living in the Real World. What's that all about? It's about making optimism practical. Uh, which sometimes sounds like uh, they would compete with each other because so many people consider optimism as just pretending life is sunshine and roses. But it's about how to be optimistic when life is challenging, when work is hard, when the people that you have to interact with are difficult, or when there's negative things going on in the world, giving real tips and tools to make optimism a part of your everyday life. That's really cool. And so even before we started uh, chatting on air, let's say, um, I, was, I was mentioning to you that optimism for me comes into play perhaps even a little differently um, as I've moved back into becoming a, a classroom teacher this year and um, a seventh grade teacher, which 
I've never really done before. I mean, I've worked in the middle school, but my classroom experience has really been in eighth grade. And I always find that seventh grade is like just such an awkward uh, developmental year. And so there are plenty of challenges that come along with dealing with seventh grade students. And um, therefore, the, the teachers I work with sometimes, I, you know, I'm not gonna lie, they, they find it difficult, uh, to say the least, to be optimistic. Um I guess I guess I'm wondering what kinds of, you know, things do you speak about? What kinds of things are in your book? What strategies are there out there to help combat that? First of all, kudos to you because that is a really difficult age. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Up it was difficult and I can't imagine having to relive that. But one of the things that I talk about it's actually more out of relationships side of the book than uh, workplace side, but they're so intertwined, is about seeing the light in others. And I find this is especially important with difficult people, whether it's our own children or family members or people that we're coming across in our workplace. And just remembering to to see that kind of goodness and the light that exists in others, even if that's not what they're showing us. And finding ways to reinforce that and pull that out, even in those different Cool. So I know that you um, you go out there and you speak and you present, and sometimes it's an educational type of setting, and sometimes it's more of a business-like setting. What are you finding in terms of similarities and differences when it comes to both of those worlds? The similarities are really in the mentorship of other people. And in education, it's mentoring students, but also mentoring our own peers and colleagues and, you know, other mentees that might come across our path. And in corporate, it might be the people that we're managing or, again, opportunities to mentor and help our colleagues grow. So those are the similarities. The difference is certainly education, I feel like, brings that element of almost parenting to it as well, where you're really trying to prepare and better educate these young individuals for what's ahead. And there's so much that they don't know. So they're not necessarily coming with that many preconceived notions or this strong intellectual background that they are going to be combating you with. It's going to be more that personal growth and awkward periods that you're having to navigate as an educator. Yeah. And I really like what you said uh, about in terms of the similarities. You mentioned the relationship part of it. Um, I know from my own experience, uh, both in my school and just being a connected educator and, and putting out content like this, so much of what I hear these days is that it all starts with relationships, you know, with students and uh, colleagues and everything. And so I'm glad you mentioned that. As a matter of fact, one of the things that uh, you said when when we reached out to do this interview, um, that one of the favorite your favorite points, let's say, um, is to talk about collaborate and not compete. Is is that part of what you mean by the relationships? That's definitely part of it. And I think especially with our peers, figuring out ways to work together to build a better organization and more successful outcomes all around. There's that old adage, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's so true. But in our day and age, we take other people's success as a threat instead of an opportunity to work together, learn, create a better overall outcome. Yeah, I get that. Uh, let me let me kind of get personal here for a second. I, on a personal level, I am a teacher, which is already difficult. I'm a parent of two really great but young and kind of needy kids. I'm a doctoral student. I got a lot going on. And sometimes I don't want to say that it's hard to be optimistic, but when there's so much on your plate, 
I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that could be why people sort of steer in the other direction, you know, and, and become more pessimistic. And they're just not necessarily seeing, um, it's hard. It's hard to see through all that, to see the bright side. Would you agree? And I guess, what do we do about that? I absolutely agree. It is hard. And when you're juggling so much, you're stretched thin. And I feel like for myself, even a lot of the times, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're kind of like, okay, what else can possibly get added to my plate or go wrong? And it's really just about, uh, in order to maintain optimism in those moments, so much of it is taking an extra breath and just figuring out how to make that next step forward a little bit better. I like to say that it's not how you see the glass, it's what you do with it. I like that. Um, and, and one of the other, I guess, sayings that you, uh, you mentioned is uh, along the same lines as, as what you were talking about with the glass, live for a cause, not for an applause. Uh, explain that a little bit. It uh, connects a little bit with what Simon Sinek says a lot of starting with your why and knowing what drives you. And what I relate it back to is what you were just saying, all of those things that you're juggling, you've got kids and a graduate program and a full-time job. And there's so much pulling at your time that there's going to be days where you have to be getting up an extra hour or two early and stretching yourself in every possible way throughout the day. People are going to be trying your patience and you're going to be sick sometimes. And whatever it is, if you're not connected with that cause, it's going to be a lot easier to fall back to the pessimism and not want to get out of bed in the morning. But when you have that cause and you know what's driving you, it's easier to give grace to some of those more difficult times because there's there's that heart and that passion that's lighting you up, uh, even when it's kind of a cloudy gray day in every sense of the word. The Leader of Learning Podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning Podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. Okay, so let's say I consider myself to be an, an education leader, and, and you've probably heard me mention this before, and, and certainly loyal listeners, that you know anyone can be an education leader. It doesn't matter. It does, it's regardless of your title or position. But let's say I don't have the quote-unquote leadership title. I'm not an administrator. Uh, I'm not in charge per se. How do I help others be more optimistic? Uh, is it is it more through like lead by example? Uh, is it you know more than just modeling it for them? Like how can someone be a leader but sort of still on the same level you know playing field? I think there's elements of the collaboration that is a big part of that. You're leading in that, but you're also working together as part of the team and setting examples for that. I also think that magnifying the strengths of others is a really important way to do that. And it ties in with the collaboration a little bit, but working with other people to create opportunities for them to shine and create supporting roles where maybe you're not actually leading by example in that case, but you're trying to help someone else succeed 
or play to their strengths uh, in a way that creates a better environment and culture because uh, then there's more camaraderie there and uh, eventually more optimism. Yeah, I like that. And the word that you use, I think, is magnify. I like the word empower, but I think we're speaking the same language, really. Um, Does it change then if you do have a title and you are in more of a traditional leadership role or really does it kind of just stay the same? I think it in many ways stays the same. And if anything that shifts, it's that as a leader, I think, or in a leadership title, you need to be more of a servant leader. You need to be that person that is empowering your team by creating opportunities for them to succeed, giving them the tools for success. But the the same principles are still there and magnifying their strengths, helping them to shine, creating an environment where everyone can be successful. So I've mentioned to you and I've mentioned to my audience that uh, something I really like to study is is growth mindset. I'm, I'm sort of curious uh, about where you see the connection between growth mindset versus fixed mindset and optimism versus pessimism, because I think they're pretty, I mean, I think they're pretty relatable. Uh, you can't necessarily grow your mindset if you're being too pessimistic and and vice versa. You know, I don't think someone who is in a fixed mindset is really going to be all that optimistic very often. Would you agree? I agree completely because I think if you're in that fixed mindset, you're seeing less possibility or potential and therefore working towards less. Whereas if you have that growth mindset, you know that there's more ways that you can push yourself and learn and share and mentor. And so you're constantly striving to try and do that. All right. What haven't I asked you about yet that you you need to get out there and and have people understand about optimism or uh, understand about just how how important it is and how... Actually, you know what I haven't asked you? Optimism related to health. Is that something that comes up in your, uh, your line of work? It absolutely does. And it does for me personally, too. I have struggled with autoimmune diseases since I was in high school. And it's often really challenging to be optimistic when you feel crummy and it's out of your control to actually do much about it. Uh, But I think it's even more critical because that mind-body connection, there is a lot of proof that not that you can think yourself better, but the more that you are trying to have that positive mindset, you're making better choices for yourself and you're being more proactive and finding solutions that that will help you in the short or long term. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, in in education, it's so important. And I keep hearing more and more about it, both uh, for students and educators themselves about, you know, wellness and, and just taking care of yourself and um, when when things get tough and, and stress is really mounting, you know, how to really set aside time uh, to to care for yourself. And so I'm thinking that to, to remain optimistic, uh, you need to have sort of that, that physical and mental health as well. But even vice versa, if you want to be healthier, perhaps turning around your your optimism or turning around your growth mindset may have sort of those effects on your your physical or mental wellness. So um, that just kind of came to me. And, and I think it's a, a really, I think it's a really interesting and intriguing connection between optimism and, and health and wellness. Um, anyway, what, what else? What else have you not, uh, have I not given you the opportunity to say yet about your work, about optimism? Um, how, can, how can we go about inspiring more optimism? 
Well, to tag on a little bit of what you just said with the uh, optimism and the wellness mindset, I think mindfulness and optimism go hand in hand as well. Both optimism as it relates to yourself personally and in our relationships and our workplace, because so often pessimism is our default mode. It's, you know, we are uh, brought up to to live with, you know, that fight or flight mentality. And so there's always a little bit of that instinct to immediately default to to pessimism. And taking a moment just to take an extra breath or be more present in a conversation or give yourself a little bit of space to reconnect with your cause or your why. These are the things that are really mindfulness-based but will help have a more optimistic mindset. Cool. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. First of all, uh, this has been a great conversation and, and I think, uh, there are just so many things, whether it be the education world or the business world that kind of revolve around this idea of optimism and, and may not really be able to function properly without it. Um, again, I see that all the time in, in schools and, and in my work with seventh graders, like you said before, it's, uh, it's challenging. It really is. Uh, and, and, Having that optimism um, not only gets you to come back every day, uh, and and man, sometimes you really got to fight through it. But it, it also, um, you know, it just really—I I, I don't know how to put it. It's that's what is most fulfilling to a lot of the time about the job. So, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And and if you could before we leave, I know uh, you have that book we mentioned before, and and also what other information would you be able to give our listeners in terms of where to find you and, and how to access all your social media and everything? Yes. So you can find me on divine.com. That's D-A as in Apple, V-I-N-E. And that's where you'll find lots of resources about optimism and how to bring optimism into your own workplace and links to all the social media handles as well. And of course, all of that information and a link to Elizabeth's book will be in the show notes for this episode. And uh, yeah, just thanks again for the great conversation. And I'm just, I'm super intrigued now, even more so uh, than than I have been just about growth mindset, about this idea of optimism. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dan. I love what you're doing and trying to share that growth mindset and education and help empower other leaders. My thanks again to Elizabeth for coming on and being a guest in this episode. If you couldn't tell already, I was super eager to discuss this aspect of optimism, and I really, really appreciate its link to growth mindset. And so, of course, being a leader of learning, there are so many ways that you might be looked at to remain optimistic, to inspire optimism in others, to be that consummate positive force, whether it's on your staff, in your classroom, in your building. And I just think that's such an important aspect of being a leader of learning. So I guess my advice to you after listening to this episode and hearing my great conversation with Elizabeth is if you're not already doing so, find ways to not only be optimistic, but to support the optimism in others. I know that there are opportunities for me to do that almost every single day, and I want to do better at it. Thanks again for listening, and let's stay positive. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. 
There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer, sign up for our newsletter, and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again, and remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a Leader of Learning.